0: Taking place in Boston from October 25th through the 28th, this program focuses on business expansion and organizational growth strategies that can lead your company into the future. Learn more about this three-day program for senior leaders by visiting hbs.me growth. That's hbs.me growth. You are Locked On Celtics, your daily Celtics podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm so hyped right now. Anything's possible. Oh, my mama. Oh, my mama made it, man. Anything's possible. Rainy
1: days. Jump shot fade away. This the best Celtics podcast day to day.
0: Hey there, welcome back to the Locked On Celtics podcast here on the Locked On Podcast Network. Part of your daily routine, thank you for taking us with you wherever it is that you are going, driving to work, home from work, on the way to the gym, whatever it is. Thanks for including us today. We're getting into the mailbag. We asked you to submit your questions on Twitter using the hashtag Rain and Jays, and a few of you did. So, thanks. For that, we're going to get to those in a minute. We'll mystery machine it. We haven't done the mystery machine in a, in a little while. That took kind of an extended All-Star break. We'll do that. And first, we're going to talk about Isaiah Thomas. When I say we, I mean the Rain and Jays, Sam, Jam Packard, John Corrales here for the duration of this podcast. So let's get into it. Isaiah Thomas not playing in the New York-Philly road trip. Not not going to Brooklyn. Not going to the 76ers. Uh, right Knee, bone bruise. I don't think it's a big deal. I personally think it's a little bit of an excuse because after the game, he even said, hopefully we stay healthy and we can play this thing out. And then the next day, he's not making the trip. He's got a right bone bruise. So I think this is an excuse to get Isaiah Thomas a little added rest because he's the one guy who didn't have an all-star break. And I want to hear what your thoughts on the, are, are on this, uh, Sam.
1: I would generally agree that it's not a not a big deal. I'm not questioning or I don't know if the injury is made up. It definitely feels like something if there was an actual game against, you know, actual opponents and not the Brooklyn Nets and the Philadelphia 76ers, he would be playing. But it's it's you're entering playoff time and you want your players, your best players, to be as healthy as possible. Um, and we've seen Isaiah just kind of take—because he is so small, he kind of takes bigger hits and goes to the floor a bunch, so— why not uh, keep him out when there's two winnable games out there? Um, yeah, and I agree with you. It's just it's just not a it's not a, the biggest deal in the world. I'm a little upset because those I have tickets to both of those games, and I would rather see uh, the tiny sportsman in there. But um, <laughs> other than that, I don't think it's a it's a huge deal for the Celtics, and it's kind of. Um, I think it's a way to kind of make Isaiah sit because I don't think Isaiah would ever accept um, just a a DNP rest. But if you say if you if you trick him into resting by saying he has a um, some sort of injury, maybe he's more accepting of that.
0: Yeah, I agree with that. I think this is just an opportunity. I I think he probably did hit the floor and, and probably did like do something. That's not a big deal that he probably brushed off. But if they said, you're inactive, you're not even traveling with us, stay home. That's that's an easy way. I don't think if this was a trip to Washington or to Toronto that he would sit. But going back to yesterday's po- yesterday's podcast, I think this is an opportunity to start Marcus Smart at the point guard. I think the, the stuff I was talking about yesterday, starting him at the top of the key, running the offense, and having him either drive or, sh- you know in the course of the offense, shift down to the corners and take those corner threes. I think this is an opportunity for him to do this against bad competition. The, the Knicks, not the Knicks, the Nets are, are a mess. The 76ers are a mess. There's a chance for him to have two really, really good games. Uh, I think he's going to have games that are so good that some people are going to start saying, hey, look at how he is as a point guard. Maybe we should bring Isaiah off the bench. I, I, think, I think he's going to be good enough to inspire some trollish type of comments. So we'll see how it that goes. It doesn't
1: take much to inspire dumb people on the <laughs> internet, but um, I think it's also <laughs> an opportunity for to see what Al Horford number one option looks like. Um, maybe he can ride some of the momentum after that Timberwolves game and put together back-to-back 20-point games, which is something we have not seen from Al Horford in, in the longest of times.
0: Yeah, and uh, Brian Coleman on Twitter. Let's just transition this into the the, the Twitter comments because I I, I don't think the, the Celtics, according to Adam Himmelsbach, he they don't care so much. They don't they're not concerned about this at all. So it, it just seems like they're resting him. He didn't Isaiah didn't get an All Star break like I said. He played in the game somewhat. He didn't he didn't get to relax like everybody else did. He did the skills competition. So getting him. A few days off, I think, is is a good idea. But to your point, you know, th- this is the only way to get him to accept that. Brian Coleman asks if Casey Jones tried to rest Bird for a nationally televised game against a rival. You think LB would go for it? I'll even go a step further. I don't think Larry Bird would want to sit against a game in a game that wasn't televised against the worst team in the league. That's I don't that, I just don't think Larry Bird was willing to sit. For for anything,
1: he was good to lie on the ground when his back hurt. I don't. Know, I mean, like <laughs> yeah. what kind of Larry? What what era Larry Bird are we talking about? Are we talking like nineteen eighty four Larry Bird or like early nineties Larry Bird? Because it's early nineties Larry Bird. he may be a little bit more accepting of a kind of something like that.
0: It's an interesting debate, though, because a lot of the old timers will like. Uh, was it Wilbon on Twitter? Talking about oh, let me ask Jalen Rose about sitting. He never sat a game. I don't remember him taking a, a rest day. I think the older people are sitting there saying, "What's this about rest? What are what are guys resting for?" We didn't use to rest way back in the day, uh, but you know, first of all, it's different now. We have more information. We have statistics. We have analysis. The analytics show that the the odds of an injury go up. Uh, at at a certain point, at a certain number of minutes, it's like it's like people complaining in baseball about well, what's this hundred pitch count? I remember a guy going out there throwing one hundred eighty pitches. It's, it's different. It's a different era. It's a different time. These guys. I'm pro rest. I think arresting them every once in a while is a good thing. You keep them fresh. You're, you're you've got hundred million dollar investments in some of these guys. Let's. Let's do what we can to keep them healthy. I think they're they're pushing their bodies a little bit harder. They're training a lot harder. Harder. Uh, It's just a different era. So I I think resting guys. The the research shows that doing it every once in a while is a positive thing.
1: Yeah, it's just it's like there's no real reason why there's an 81 or 82 game schedule. Um, and it 's not something that you 're not going to see games go away uh anytime soon because of the money they bring in, but if they had to go back and redesign it just based on all the kind of the science you were mentioning before the, there 's no way they would have them play that many regular season games um just because you want the best product on the floor at all times and if you shorten the schedule to something like sixty games you 're going to get healthier players less injuries, and then just a higher level of basketball so yeah, I agree with you rest is is generally good and it, the more we learn about kind of the, the toll it takes on an NBA player's body to go through the entire season and the weird sleep schedules they have and all the travel it's the more I think you're gonna see uh, players get getting rested especially later in the season as teams prepare for the playoffs
0: here's here's another thing that's different about the league now uh, first of all there are more playoff games the series they they are uh, they used to be five games now there's seven games in the opening round. The season lasts longer. There used to be... NBA Finals used to be played in in May. I think once upon a time in April. Uh, once upon a time, the schedule wasn't 82 games. And on top of everything, guys are starting in the NBA younger. So it used to be that it was all juniors and seniors that were drafted. Now guys are coming out as freshmen. We've got a we've got a generation of players that have come out at nineteen and at nineteen years old have started to play eighty-two to one hundred games as opposed to guys who came out in their senior year like Tim Duncan playing a hundred games over the course of those three years. Sophomore, junior, senior year, you play thirty some odd games if you make deep tournament runs, you know, thirty-five games. So those three years equal one run in in the NBA to the finals. So I think nowadays guys start younger. They've got from 19, 20, 21, 22, that's four years of that. that's 400 games potentially on the high end of the scale. At the very least, that's 320 games on the low end where in college you'd play 70 games once upon a time back in the eighties when you came out as a junior or a senior. So that's a lot. And that is cumulative. So over the course of time, that's just more pressure. It's more wear and tear. The body can only take so much. So I think nowadays things are just different. So guys need to, have that that bigger perspective of what the league is and what the league has become and what we're asking people to do and as opposed to what it used to be and just accept that this is different
1: no you're 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 actually okay. right and you're kind of you while I, while you're talking about that I was just thinking about how all of that makes what LeBron James has done in his career that much more impressive um talking about going to seven consecutive finals and he's just never missed time for an injury except for that kind of that weird two-week span where he went to Miami for some random reason but like if you think of all the games and all the minutes I think LeBron's art it's like already in like the top 10 or something of like minutes played or games played it's absurd so um I know this is a, a Celtics podcast so praising LeBron James is not normally uh where we would go <laughs> but uh if you consider all those factors and the, how productive LeBron has been during that time it's it's
0: pretty insane. It is. It's very, very insane. So, that's that's my take on the rest thing and all of that stuff. Okay, so back to Twitter. We asked you to use the hashtag Rain and Jays. Uh, if you didn't use that, I'm, I'm trying to see who just added us, but I, I may have missed a couple here. So make sure when you send in questions, if you're looking for answers, to use the hashtag Rain and Jays. So that puts it all in one place. It's easy for me to. Get to it. Okay, the other big topic I think that's come up this week, and I've been asked this on some of my radio stuff from at Jive John. Would you still take Lonzo Ball with all of his dad baggage if the Nets pick slips to number two? That I think is such an interesting question. Danny Ainge addressed that on the radio this morning. We're recording this on Thursday night. So Thursday morning. He addressed this on the radio, and he said that the, the father's stuff doesn't matter to him. If he likes the player, he likes the player, and whatever. And his dad, Lonzo Ball's dad, said that once—he says a lot of things. But he did say that once you're off on your own, you're off on your own, and that's your thing. I don't like all of the extra bullshit that he brings. I think he's looking for a lot of the attention himself— uh, he doesn't have to grant all of these interviews. He doesn't have to go on Center. But he's also, on the other side, trying to be a savvy businessman and strike while the iron is hot. The attention is on the Ball family now. He's got two more, two more kids that are going to be going to college, and eventually he hopes the NBA. He's trying to build a brand. He's got that, uh, what's that shirt, that, that company that's got a big bad baller or something like that, the 3Bs. I don't
1: know, but that sounds like something he would he would start. Yeah.
0: So he's he's trying to make some money. And good for him. Yeah, that's if he and his family, if this is how they want to do it, fine. That's fine. I don't want to do something stupid and pass on a, a guy who may be a transcendent player because his father sounds like an asshole, which I don't know if he is or not, but he sounds like one and he's he's Really sound like an attention hog, but is that a reason to pass on a tr- potentially transcendent player? I don't think so. If we got the number one pick and if both players kind of graded out evenly, I would go with Fultz over Ball because of that. That's a tiebreaker. But if it's Ball or, I don't know, one of Jackson or something, and, and Ball just grades out better, then you got to take Ball and just sit, sit down with the dad and be like, okay, this is the NBA. This is how we like to conduct ourselves. Let's, uh, we we want to work with you. Just let, let, This is how we, we hope to conduct our business, and, and hopefully it works out.
1: I, I agree. I, I, there's absolutely no reason you shouldn't take Lonzo Ball because of his father. You, you're taking a player. They're not the same person he's going to have two other kids to worry about and sit on the sidelines of UCLA games and kind of say dumb things. Uh, The one, the one caveat, and I still wouldn't, uh, this wouldn't make me hesitate in taking Lonzo ball is if somehow uh, his dad ends up being his, um, his agent and that would be, or is like somehow involved in the contract process and is, uh, is um, kind of demanding, more money but even with the nba contracts it's pretty much dictated what the player is going to get for the first if they're a top lottery pick and then deserve their rookie extension it's pretty much dictated what they're going to get for their first eight seasons so even that is is not that big of a deal so um i would take alonzo uh, ball and i would just uh, look forward to all the ridiculous things that uh his dad would say
0: <laughs> there would be a lot of ridiculous things. The man cannot turn down an interview, but uh, I, I, on a personal level, I don't like it. I, I don't know who he is. I obviously have never met him. I, maybe whatever, but I don't like the way he comes off. I just don't like the optics, and I, I do think that he puts a little bit of pressure on his son. Maybe I'm wrong, but I, I think when you you build that kind of hype up, when you're saying things like he's better than Steph and saying some ridiculous stuff like that. The one thing that it does, and and in reality where it really does legitimately hurt him, is as a rookie, you need these guys. You need veterans to kind of help you out and guide you through the process of becoming a pro. This is unlike anything else any player has ever experienced. Jalen Brown admitted that before the Minnesota game, saying... You know, he's learned how to take care of himself. The guys have helped him along. And that if he had known at the beginning what it was going to be like, he would he would be better. He would have figured things out earlier. But it's a process to become an NBA, professional NBA player, and go through the rigors of travel and all of your other commitments and learning the offenses, which are really just much more intense, and the schemes and how good all of the other players are, you don't need, as a rookie, a layer of all of these great players being pissed off at you already because of some dumb shit your dad said. Because they're supposed to help you out. They're supposed to guide you. And if none of those guys really care to help you out, it just makes things a little bit more difficult. And he doesn't need that. He may be able to overcome it. I'm not saying this is a huge roadblock, but... That's something that you just don't need as a rookie. Rookie years are hard enough as it is. And like I said last night, with Wiggins, you can see how long it takes to develop. These guys, Lonzo Ball, as good as he might be, is going to take some while, some, some time to develop. And he just doesn't need dad going out there and blowing him up in front of everybody before he gets started. So, okay. Back to the questions. We had a couple of questions about Kelly Linux. I'll let you go first on this start one. Kelly, Sam. hashtag at...
1: Kelly.
0: <laughs> okay. So moving on. No. Uh at Staxwell Six, is there any chance Kelly Linick is an X Factor in the first round of the playoffs? And then Tom King, who basically spammed this hashtag, Tommy King at Celtics Town, our boy, Jay King's brother. Who why doesn't Kelly Linux start or play more minutes? So you're you're our Kelly Olynyk guy, so go for it.
1: Uh, I definitely think he can be an X factor. I'm I'm the number one preacher in the the Church of Kelly Olynyk right now with his positional defense and his outside shooting is spreading the floor. As for the question about why he doesn't play as much, your guess is as good as mine, Tom King. I just I I don't know. <laughs> I've been advocating for it. It seems like it's. He gets as much minutes as he kind of he plays himself into. If he's having a good game and is shooting with confidence, it feels like uh, Stevens lets the leash out a little bit further. But then he can come into the game and give you kind of that, that bad Kelly, that over the over-up fake Kelly Olenek, and um, it doesn't really work out. And then also I think it's it's somewhat um, matchup-based. So I think those are the two issues. It's, there's a lack of consistency on his end. And then there's just some players, um, either big men or, or a little more physical than he is, um, where it just doesn't work out, and he's not the best matchup for the what the Celtics can put on the floor.
0: Yeah, I, I agree with that. There's really not much more for me to expand on there. Uh, Kelly Olynyk, I'm a big Kelly Olynyk guy, and I think that the inconsistency hurts him. But he can be an X factor with his shooting. When he's going good, man, he is going good. So I I would love to see him start before the season I said that he should start. I can understand what Amir Johnson brings to the starting lineup. He's a better rebounder, he's a better shot blocker. He he's not as I think Kelly's defense has been very underrated. I agree with you there. But I can I can see Amir Johnson at the beginning when you you're out there with I. T. and Bradley and and Crowder and Horford, those guys all spread the floor and Amir Johnson. They will give him space to shoot every once in a while. He'll hit. I think he's hitting like forty percent since the All Star break from three. So how can how can you argue with that? Uh, I I think I think this is a the starting lineup. Maybe Brad is just like that's set. I don't want to screw with that. But Kelly Olynyk certainly can finish games and i think i think if he's going to be uh, effective or an x factor he'll be in there finishing games and spreading the floor especially in tight games where they need isaiah to go off he's going to be more of a, a floor spreader and that'll give isaiah uh, an opportunity to get to the rim and get those fouls uh at a McClements, 34, level of concern for Pacers or Bucks in the playoffs. George and Giannis would arguably arguably be the best player in the series. Sam, you were talking about this the other day with Jay. You're a little afraid of Indiana in the playoffs.
1: I don't think the Celtics would lose a series against Indiana. I think it's more of a concern of you. They would have to extend... More effort in a series against Indiana because you're right. I think Paul George would be the best player on the floor, and I we've seen him do this um, last year. He took the the Raptors, I think, to six or seven games, just basically like him willing his team to victory. So I don't really think that the Indiana is good enough to to win um, a series against the Celtics. But it's just the kind of thing. of, like, do you waste all this energy in round one? when you could be playing um, someone like the Miami Heat or someone like that. As for the Bucs, um, I'm a huge Giannis fan. I think he's quite good, but I just don't think uh, he's in that dominant player level where he can put the entire game on his back. Um, so I'm not really worried about the Bucks. There's a small concern about the Pacers, but uh, not, not a huge concern. It's just kind of you'd rather – I if you're saying which one you prefer – I prefer the Celtics to play some team not the Pacers just because I think they'd have an easier time in round 1.
0: Yeah, I th- I'm not as concerned about the Bucks. I know Giannis can be kind of well, he's the Greek freak, so he's freakish. But he's they're they're not ready yet. They're not I don't think they're win a first round series ready. They've struggled to keep their hold on a playoff spot. Uh, I think that they'll be dangerous. That they might, you know, win a game or two. It wouldn't be a sweep. I'm not saying they'll have an easier time, but I think the Celtics can handle them. and can handle him to a degree more than they can some of these other matchups. I, I'm I'm fine with them playing the Bucks. I'm with you. Paul George can be much more dominant. And create his own shot a lot better. He's a much more reliable three point shooter too than Giannis. So I, I my my level of concern is a little bit higher against the Pacers. And you know, they also have Miles Turner, who is a stud. So that can that can be problematic as well. So I agree with you on that. At Rob Parrott, if you could choose between free agents this summer, who would you take? Gordon Hayward or Blake Griffin? I know Gordon Hayward had a terrible game against the Cavaliers tonight. The Utah Jazz had an opportunity. They were tied going into the fourth, and they were within two or three with about three minutes to go. And LeBron just took over, and J.R. Smith hit a huge three, and Gordon Hayward was really nowhere to be found. Neither was George Hill. So, but... You can cherry pick bad games here and there for everybody. Gordon Hayward, I think, has emerged from budding at the beginning of the season to star player now. And I think if you put him on the Celtics, you could play him at the two or the three. You can you can play him and Crowder next to each other, I think. You can move Crowder to the four. In certain lineups, there's no reason to say you have to get rid of Crowder to, to get Gordon Hayward. I don't know how that affects the backcourt. Avery Bradley, Marcus Smart, Terry Rozier, something has to shift that way. But I've I've been convinced that Gordon Hayward is definitely, of those two choices, the way to go. Griffin has been injury-prone. He, and he's also a power forward and I don't want to move Al Horford to the center. I don't want to start Griffin and, and Horford together. I'd rather start Hayward and Horford together because I think they would just play off each other better. And I would rather find a different option at center, maybe Ante Zizich or somebody else
1: i you you stole literally all the all the points I was going to make. I agree with you that, <laughs> that like, uh, Hayward's on the upward trajectory where Griffin, um who's still very good, but he's he's been very injury prone. and it's just you'd be weary of giving him a kind of a max deal. and then um the other thing is just there's this mythical um Hayward Brad Stevens Butler connection that uh, I would be interested in exploring plus, with all the drama surrounding Jay Crowder, that's just that's just good old fashioned fun for the local media. So I'm I'm all for that. Anything that adds just unnecessary drama to the Celtics season, I, I can get behind.
0: <laughs> uh, I would love it. I would love it. It would be interesting to see how that goes. Uh, Justin Hunter at All Celtics fans, Shout out to our international fans, uh, all our especially our, our fans in Australia, who are very vocal on Twitter. And but everywhere, lots of international fans love the fact that we're global, and they so the, the, the internet can bring us together. He asks, "I've been worried all season, as most have, that we're too reliant on Isaiah Thomas's scoring in the fourth. Do you feel we are making adjustments now?" I'll I'll, I'll let you go first.
1: No, <laughs> I mean I feel like they still pretty much rely on. <laughs> Like, Isaiah is still the the go-to guy uh, when it comes down to the fourth quarter, and I think the Celtics have done a better job in terms of, especially with Avery Bradley back, and uh, other guys have stepped up and kind of lessened the need for Isaiah Thomas to um, score that many points. But it doesn't feel like their approach is drastically different. It still feels like all actions run through Isaiah, and... um Teams are certainly defending Isaiah differently, and so maybe the adjustment is that they're just having to kind of react to a different defense, and that's leading to more guy, uh, other guys getting shots. But I don't think it's really the, the approach has been that much different from the Celtics.
0: I think the reliance on Isaiah Thomas is still as high as it's ever been. I think the adjustment now is, is not necessarily an adjustment per se as much as it is a return to the things that were working earlier. Every once in a while, the Celtics, when they are bad is that what they do is they sit back and watch Isaiah try to create. And, And that's not good as, as great as Isaiah Thomas has been, Him going one on one and just trying to create with no other ball movement, with no cuts, with no picks, none of that stuff. That's just not effective. That's not his. That's not where he excels. What they when they are going great, and when Isaiah Thomas is really going in the fourth quarters is sometimes he's off the ball, the ball he he gives the ball up and gets it back. He drives and kicks. Other guys are involved. That's when things are going. When other guys pick up a basket here and there. You don't have to do much. You just doesn't have to be all Isaiah. And I've said this before on the podcast. I will repeat it until it it's no longer an issue. Put Isaiah off the ball sometimes. Do whatever you gotta do to mix things up. Don't just sit there and watch him, because if you sit there and watch, the defense can just key on him and then, then he gets neutralized. So he's not that's where his size works against him. And that's just how it is. So that's my take on the adjustment. All right, before we get into some f- more fun things, I like I said before, Tommy King spammed us. So, let's get let's get into a couple of these uh, is Marcus Smart more useful playing with or without Isaiah Thomas? I thought him uh with IT off ball would be great, but the numbers don't agree. Uh I hate Marcus Smart off the ball with Isaiah Thomas. So I'll I'll just quickly repeat what I said last night. If Isaiah Thomas and Marcus Smart are playing together, Marcus Smart needs to be the point guard and the primary ball handler for most of the time. And if, if you don't do that, then he's ineffective. If you do do that, uh, you can run Isaiah Thomas off the screens and run some action for him. Then he can get the ball and create and score. And then maybe Isaiah Thomas gets those corner threes again. But, I mean, then Marcus Smart gets those corner threes. But... The, that's the only way Marcus Smart's going to be effective. You play him off the ball with Isaiah Thomas. Forget it. He's an offensive liability practically.
1: No, I agree. I think I think Smart's best role in this team is is kind of as backup point guard, and it kind of it makes things difficult because I also think he's one of the top five best players on the team, and so is Isaiah. So, you would imagine that you'd want your those five players out there at all, at all times, and you'd also want the ball. In Isaiah's hands, but there's definitely ways to start with Marcus Smart as the primary ball handler. Get it off the ball and kind of start actions that way. But um, I would agree that they're not they're not the best pairing as a as a backcourt, and that's maybe something the Celtics have to consider um, moving forward, especially if they end up with uh, a top two pick or bring in someone like Gordon Hayward, just adding another guard to the position. Someone's got to go. Someone's got to leave because it's already an already crowded backcourt, So, um, and they're not really working that, that well together right now.
0: Okay. Uh, I think we're going to get away from some of the Celtics' questions now. Get some more of our goofy Rain and Jays' questions back to Tommy King. Well, no, Marcus Smart's behind the Jalen Brown popcorn car, right?
1: Ooh. I don't think so. I, that feels like an Amir Johnson prank to me.
0: You know, he was suspiciously there with the camera, ready to document yeah. things. He 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 saw it all happening. He must have known.
1: But I think the big dog feels like the kind of the, the, the savvy vet and the prankster. Although apparently Gerald Green is the funniest member of the Celtics, according to Isaiah Thomas.
0: I feel bad for the ball boys who had to clean it all out. Like somebody should have been there to be like, "No, rookie has to clean that out. You got to clean your own car."
1: Do we know that the ball boys had to clean it out?
0: Oh, there was video evidence of them doing so.
1: Oh, that's terrible! So it's just a momentary prank, really, you're just torturing the ball boys in that point.
0: Yeah. So the the clubhouse should
1: have just given Jalen the ride home, and then they left the popcorn in his car for there in the TD Garden for the rest of the season. <laughs> <people couldn't> <laughs> Uh, gotten a handful every anytime they wanted some.
0: Yeah, they could have just parked it like up in one of the open levels there as people walked in where they get the tickets, where you, you hand in your tickets, just grab a little scoop, and then off you go.
1: Oh my god, we could have spray-printed Jalen Brown's mystery machine on the side and made a billion dollars.
0: Oh, shit. Damn it. Whoa. Oh well. Missed opportunity there. Uh, okay, let's see. What else do we have here? Uh, Alex at Straight No Chaser. Uh, who, oh, wait. No, this is an actual Celtics question. Uh, who should the Celtics go for with the veteran minimum at the five next season, assuming Amir and Zeller are gone? Assuming the Celtics uh, are looking just for a veteran minimum guy, uh, who's available? Bogut? Right.
1: Bogut's uh, just – he's going to be available, but I don't know if I want his <laughs> – like, I a mean, crippled old body.
0: Yeah, I mean if it's if it's the veteran minimum and you have other options ahead of him and he's just kind of like insurance, I I don't know if they're gonna be able to keep a Linux. But if you start I don't know I don't know what Zizich is gonna be like, but he's he looks great in the Euro League. If for some reason he comes in and he wins that spot, maybe he's your starting center, maybe he's a backup center. If you were able to to keep Linux, maybe he's in there. At the veteran minimum, as a guy you could just cut and just be done with, Bogut is worth a shot. And hopefully he can stay healthy and provide. he can be minimally effective. So that would be my guy.
1: The only it's- other options I can see right now would be... Zaza Pachulia, JaVale McGee, or Jeff Withey? And I know Danger Card is a huge Jeff Withey fan, so I'm going to go with Jeff Withey just in honor of Danger Cart.
0: Nice. I like that. Give him a shout-out. At Max the Pimp with a one for an I, <laughs> if you had to guess which genre each current Celtics liked, genre of music each current Celtics liked, what would you guess?
1: I'm guessing they all like rap music and mostly future. And judging from Terry Rizzi or Snapchat,
0: I'm right. Yeah, except for Tyler Zeller. I feel like Tyler Zeller's a Christian rock kind of guy.
1: I feel like Tyler Zeller doesn't listen to music.
0: <laughs> he just <laughs> listens to audiobooks on the way home?
1: Not even audiobooks, just silence. And he just contemplates <laughs> how we
0: <laughs> Yeah, I feel like I'm going down the line pretty much... Who wouldn't like hip hop on that on that roster? Jonas?
1: Jonas may be in some weird Swedish stuff we don't even know about.
0: Yeah, he could be into some like, you know, euro techno stuff or he stuff might be that into you There's some
1: like there's some like just Swedish like kind of sad bands that are kind of like still electro but a little bit lower key. Like I think mm-hmm. Jonas maybe have some some depth to him there.
0: Yeah, maybe. Maybe that's a solid choice. Uh, that's about it. Yeah. I can't... I think, I think they're all... And then, then you got like, the various levels of hip-hop. Like, the younger guys, like, this stupid trap shit, which I hate. <laughs> I hate that shit. And then you got some of the guys, like... Like, I'm an old-school rap guy. So, I think there are some guys that might be a little more into that. What do you define
1: uh, as old-school rap? Because you're older than me, so our definitions or our eras might be different.
0: Well, I... M- I will say, old school is from like eighty six ish, like a ten year span of eighty, like eighty six to ninety five, in that range, and then ninety five is about my cutoff of where things start to go. They start to change a little bit.
1: Uh, not true because Life After Death came out in um, nineteen ninety seven. Um, okay,
0: I have a well, deal. I get. Go on, go on. No, no, I am just trying to think because. Yeah, cause well, well, like Illmatic and Ready to Die came out what in like ninety four ish, so that's that still qualifies. I don't know. I guess I guess it's a shifting it's a shifting measure because it's twenty seventeen. So that's we're talking about music that's twenty years old. So which yeah. hurts my feelings a lot.
1: It yeah, two, I could twenty year anniversary of the notorious Big's death. Um, on I know March
0: I know, I know. I gotta tell you, as much as I love and kind of was molded on on the basketball courts of Rhode Island through some of that rap music, uh, I hate that they mention the year in which they recorded their albums because now it's just the kick in the balls to me. When I hear Big Daddy Kane, ain't no half-steppin', and he says, 88, time to set it straight, I'm like, oh, 88, oh, that hurts my feelings, because I was 15 years old in 88. John, I wasn't even born in 1998. Yeah, that's that's horrible. When I go back sometimes, I'll go back to Emerson College and watch the team play, and I'll look at the program, and and I'll see guys that – I legitimately could have fathered and not in an accident kind of way. Like I legitimately could have, I mean, it might've started a little bit young, but like, not really.
1: It was a planned uh, baby. (laughs)
0: Like I could, it could have been like, yeah, let's have kids. And they would be freshmen in, in college at this point. Maybe like, yeah, it's, it's, it's disheartening to me. But anyway, that's, (laughs) that's my little, uh, music sidebar. Oh, well, what's your definition of old school?
1: Um, I was going to say something similar, uh, but like, I don't know. It's just because when I was born, but like, there's a lot of rap music that occurred before like 1991. I have a real hard time listening to, and it all sounds very, very simplistic to me. Like I went down to the store today. It was pretty cool. And <laughs> like, really, like, I don't know. Uh, anytime I hear this, like kind of the, the, the eighties rap music I get. I kind of get cringeworthy. It's just a cringeworthy moment for me. So I would say I would be the, the, the early 90s into mid-90s as the mire of rep.
0: You just think about it. That's like when you watch a, a football game now and you see the crazy offenses that Bill Belichick's throwing out there. And once upon a time, the forest forward pass was a major innovation. And and that's that level of... Uh, of rap was around the time when people were starting to figure out the forward pass, you know, cool Herc, African Bambata, red alert, those guys, when they were, you know, spinning in the, in the Bronx at parties, that was, that was, it was a very simplistic time. It really was two turntables and, and a DJ keeping a beat through, you know, spinning wax. And then somebody decided to talk over that stuff and it, it, you don't have the layers that it's become today. So just like anything, just like basketball, what you know we used to be set shots and you know the three man weave that we saw the old the old footage. You look at that and you're like, that was basketball. Holy shit, that was terrible. But back then, they were like, oh wow, look at this. Oh yeah, so,
1: all the all the young people listening right now, and I I can say that as a 27 year old. People need to go listen to uh, uh, African Bob uh Planet Rocks. That song, that song kills. I love yeah.
0: that Yeah, <laughs> it was. You know, it's a long journey. There's a good documentary on Netflix that um, who um,
1: was it? LL Cool J. I feel like he's on the cover. I've been meaning to watch that one.
0: No, it's. Um, oh shit! I'm drawing a total blank on his name. Uh, that hosts it. It's like a four, a three or four part series. Um damn it. I'll figure it out. But it's a good uh takes you from the Bronx to you know the modern era. Uh it's Shad. Shad, who is a, a really good rapper himself, uh more you know, more recent rapper from Canada. He he hosts this uh this multi-part documentary, takes you back to the beginnings you know, of, of hip hop, but that's another podcast that I'm actually planning. I'm actually planning on doing a music podcast with Dart Adams. We've talked about it. We're going to figure out a time to record that, but we're, we've taken a a big detour off of that question, but we'll talk about that more in a future podcast. Uh, All right, let's get to uh, one more that I want to get to go back to Tommy King to, to finish this off only because it involves his brother, Jay King. And I want to throw this challenge out to him. Tommy asks, how much money do we have to raise for the ACLU for J. King to shave his head and donate his hair? I love this. I love this. Jay King, for those of you who don't know and haven't heard, is has he's a grown
1: nest on his head. <laughs>
0: he's grown this hair. I keep calling him Vincent because he looks like John Travolta <laughs> from um, from uh, Pulp Fiction. I, I swear to God, you put them side by side, and, and he's Vincent. So, I've been trying to get that nickname to catch on, and it hasn't. I would love to see, and here's my challenge to J. King. If you do decide to cut your hair, when you decide that it's time to go back to a buzz cut, let's do it. Let's raise money. Let's do it for, like, locks of love that they actually, you can donate hair for cancer patients, I would love to have a fundraiser to cut Jay's hair and donate it whenever he decides to go back to looking like a you know a clean cut young man. I feel All like right. he's
1: off the deep end. I feel like he's just never going to cut it now, and it's going we're going to need to have an intervention for him. And when we have that inter- intervention, uh, we should definitely raise some money to get it cut. My other idea was he should make some sort of pledge to not cut his hair. Until the Celtics uh, reach the NBA Finals.
0: Ooh! Oh wow! That'd I, be interesting.
1: I like I like the idea of uh, connecting his hair length to kind of the Celtics' performance because because you know the journalists are not supposed to be uh, kind of rooting for any, any games, but you could really see Jay just jump on the Celtics' bandwagon so he can cut that rat nest off his head.
0: Uh, that would be interesting. I like that idea too. So many things, so many ways to go with Jay King's hair. Uh, I think I what I what I would love to do is some sort of like Brutus the Barber beefcake type of scenario where I put him in a sleeper hold and then shave his hair his head while he's unconscious. But all of these
1: are great ideas.
0: Yeah. I think I think we're getting places with this one.
1: We should start a new segment called um Fucking around with Jay's hair.
0: <laughs> what we should do is take advantage of this and not blow this opportunity and get some sort of like head and shoulders sponsorship. Some some shampoo company will has to look at Jay King's flowing locks and say, We have to get in on this. That very simple. You locked on Celtics at gmail.com. We're we're looking for sponsors, we're looking for a little bit of cash. Come on, it's a perfect opportunity. A local hairstylist? Maybe you own a, a barbershop. Maybe you own some sort of hair accessory place. Who knows? The options are endless. Let's cash in people. Jay King has long, luscious locks. Let's let's turn that into some money. All right, let's let's get out of this podcast here. Let's do this mystery machine and get done right, before this thing dire, goes further off the rails. Rapid fire. Let's go. You first. Isaiah
1: Thomas, boom.
0: <laughs> yeah, that goes without saying. So does Al Horford. Al Horford, especially after that last game. He's, he's, a, he's a lock.
1: Um, Jalen Brown. feel like he's been playing real well since the All-Star break, and uh, we haven't <laughs> done one since then.
0: Yeah. No, that's a good, solid choice. It's a good, solid choice. Uh, I will go Avery Bradley. Because he's back off of that injury and and playing well. And that defense, we haven't done one in a long time. Going back to that Cavs game, that little soft shoe routine he did staying in front of uh, Kyrie Irving is one of the best individual defensive efforts I've seen in a very long time. And his shooting is is off the charts. Uh, So Avery Bradley. Uh, now we get to get weird. You get you get the weird one. The
1: weird one is a, is a tough pick because I've been on the the hashtag Start Kelly bandwagon for so long, but I'm gonna have to give it to I guess my my original uh, person, Bay Crowder, um, just because I think he's he doesn't get uh, as much credit as he deserves, and he's been kind of a, a steady contributor for the Celtics throughout the entire season, and his as statistics are not as great as uh, they were earlier in the year. He's not shooting the ball from three as well, but I just think he um, Marcus smart gets the phrase impact win" impacts winning connected to him. But I really think Jay Crowder um, just does a bunch of the little things well, and he doesn't get enough uh, credit. So that's why he gets the final spot in the mystery machine.
0: I like that. I like that. Uh, I, I would have maybe I'll, I'll give maybe a just barely gets the mystery machine as it's pulling away. Maybe a Gershon Yabusele as as the guy who is back. He's back in Boston. And he's signing with the Red Claws. Like, oh shit, the, the draft and stash guy is around? Like, just to have him around. Yeah, Jer- it'd be nice. The
1: the dancing bear playing some games in in the Portland Expo Center is uh, definitely deserving. So I I uh, agree wholeheartedly with that.
0: Yeah, maybe he'll find his way onto the mystery machine with some good play in Portland. All right. That wraps up the show. A nice, long, almost hour-long show to carry you through the weekend. Uh, Isaiah Thomas won't be around this weekend. Neither will we because this is our Friday show. Uh, Sam's going to the game Friday night, Brooklyn. So am I. I'll be at Brooklyn on Friday night. So we'll meet up, uh, grab a few beers, You know, yell at people, whatever. Uh, going, it's St. Patrick's Day. We're going to be wearing our green. So come on. Uh, we'll be doing that and, uh, Philly on Sunday afternoon, no Isaiah Thomas for either of those games. Hopefully it does not matter. We will be back to talk about those two games and hopefully talk about two blowout wins on our Monday show, which we will record at some point on Sunday. Uh, until then, thank you for listening. Thank you for downloading the show Thank you for subscribing wherever you find your podcast on any podcast outlet. We are there. And if for some reason you search for us and we are not, tell me about it. I will make sure that we get on that if at all possible. Rate us five stars because that helps us a lot. Tell your friends, tell complete strangers. Plaster signs all over the place with locked on Celtics logo. Just whatever you need to do to spread the word. Thank you very much for listening. This has been the Locked On Celtics Podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network.
1: Rejecting the screen has been retweeted by Kobe, Dame Lillard, and Vince Carter. So it's fair to say you should give it a shot. I'm Noah Kozlov.
0: And I'm Adam Stanko. Rejecting the Screen hits your feed every Tuesday and Thursday. On Tuesday, we talk hoops and a little bit of life.
1: On Thursday, we go ISO with a guest. Stories from anyone and everyone who has touched the NBA with tales we promise you've never heard before.
0: Find Rejecting the Screen right now wherever you get podcasts and hit that subscribe button.